This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I have no idea when Dev starts on this. Oh, me neither. Is it now? It can't be now. There's no way. Wait, it's coming up. Okay, hold on. Okay. Places. Places. The history of film. That better who you even the lights go dim. From James Cagney to Nosferatu and stunts that shock you. And dirty, dirty tricks to your made. From wings to Top Gun, movie stars and no ones. Romantic, crazy fans that leave no real fun. Hollywood. It's still from history in Hollywood. They chase the Oscar, but it's all a sham, just like Shaq and Kazam. All your dreams can come true. Film history, the history of film. All of it made for you. Good God, that was terrible. Should we, uh, should we officially start? Let's go ahead. Let's okay. do this, guys. Cool. Let's fucking do it. This is film history, the history of film. What up, Dev? How the hell you been, brother? What's up, y'all? I've been good. Let's let's get this back to going. And now we got a we got our uh, our third partner in crime now, Mr. Drake Cummings on the mic. I'm I'm happy to be aboard this sinking ship. <laughs> yeah, man. Here we go. Might as well get on board another sinking ship we had absolutely no technical difficulties getting this set up at all i'm impressed it only took us an hour and a half yeah it only took an hour and a half and there was a lot of echoing Mm -hmm. there was but hey laughs were had by all you know what i mean we didn't let it get us down and here we are doing film history the history history of of film film. (laughs) (laughs) so today's episode is going to be about old james cagney who? Yeah, yeah, see, that's actually the, the yeah, see, that came from James Cagney. He's like the first one to do, yeah, see. Interesting. So yeah. Did, did the, other people, sorry, Dev, go All ahead. of the old Dick Tracy stuff was all based off of James Cagney, like that, the, yep. the copper, like the old bad guys and stuff. Yeah, that was old Cagney. We've been doing Cagney ever since Cagney was Cagney. <laughs> well, that, okay, so that's my first question. Did any actor of his era in earnest, like, replicate the, hey, see, or was it just media trying to replicate 1920s talk that, like, popularized that as, like, the way yeah. they talked? It, it might have just been that they actually talked like that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't even right. know. Well, because, they... so I, I watched like, a couple James Cagney films in preparation for this. Um, I watched one. I uh, watched Public Enemies, so like you know, really yeah. early one. And then oh, I watched yeah. uh, what's the one of him on a boat with James Fonda or Henry Fonda? Oh, here. Uh, it was called. We watched it. We watched it. Yeah. Let me pull up his IMDb. While okay. We do this. Well, that one, the one where they're on the boat, like it's like many, many years later. Like this is in color and shit and stuff. And he's still doing the, it's my boat, see? Yeah, see? And then Henry Fonda's talking normally. So, like, I'm wondering <laughs> if, like, did everyone, like, of the 20s pick actually, like, pick up that, like, um, cadence? Or was it just 
media years later trying to make fun of spot uh, like spoof or like replicate right the the talk and because he was so popular it just kind of became it was like like everyone used to talk like that when in actuality it was just james, just james cagney. cagney yeah did you know the answer to this? no man it's the chicken or the egg i Who would knows? <laughs> i would bet <laughs> that it's the uh the fact that they were trying to do a little bit of making fun of him because he was in like yankee doodle dandy you know, yeah. like that was an iconic yeah. piece. Like, so for him at the culture in that time, he's got to be like a big celebrity, like one of the Wait, biggest. Uh, right. I'm so, sorry. Was Yankle, was Yankee Doodle Dandy a film ever? Yes, it was. Yeah. For real? Indeed it was. It wasn't just like a weird old song oh, yeah. from the revolutionary no, days or whatever? Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. It was a band. song first, and then they made yeah. it into a movie. And this uh, is, musical. Can you, yeah. a musical movie in 1942. Yeah. Can you imagine doing that today? <laughs> like, imagine, like, someone's like, we're going to make Drake's God's Plan God's into plan. a movie. Like, what the fuck do you mean you're going to make that into a movie? <laughs> That'd be awesome. Like, what the fuck does that mean? It would just be Drake having a bunch of underage girls on a yacht. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, those are unconfirmed. <laughs> Starring Allegedly. Millie Bobby Brown Allegedly. from is, Stranger Things. purely speculation. There's been no allegations. I will not have Drake slander on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> this, is a, this is a no Drake hate zone here. Yeah. Hey, look, he shares my name. Imagine... Imagine if Drake goes down for some sh- scummy shit, and then like I'm actually named that. Like that's yeah. That's gonna like I, I I hurt by proxy, right? So I have to believe for my own franchisability that uh, <laughs> the Drake is on the up and up. I thought you were gonna Start say. I thought you were gonna say, what if Drake goes down for some shady shit I did, and then <laughs> <laughs> Drake sets him up. Hey, look, I I ain't doing no shady shit. It wasn't shit, me. Okay? See, it wasn't me. See, we're doing <laughs> James Cagney, right? Hey, Drake. <laughs> Drake is James Cagney. That's all it is. <laughs> <laughs> me, see? What me, see? Actually, I'll uh, I'll get into it. James Cagney, who is considered by Orson Welles to be the greatest actor who ever appeared in front of camera. Whoa. So um, this, I'm going to do a two-parter here. In the first part, I'm just going to tell you guys about him being born and his life. And then the second part would be more about his career. You know, about his film career. I will get into him starting out in film here. But this is just going to be a lot about him first of all you know if that's cool with y'all um absolutely i do wait hold on a second so orson wells it's important to remember orson wells died in 1985 so anyone who's been acting since 1985 orson <laughs> wells had no had no uh reference no, on, so, so this is the funny thing deb so drake <laughs> thinks that james cagney was like a bad actor and for one i disagree <laughs> Number one, I disagree. Did you see him in the end of Public Enemy when he fucking fought, fell over dead? There's another clip that I'm going to have to put in here somewhere. I don't want to die hopeless. I don't want to die hopeless. Don't make me burn. I think he was a great actor, but also, talkies were so new. This was like... This was like TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> well, like- so I want to I want to defend I want to defend that that point really quick. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think he is not a great actor by today's standards. Uh huh. You know, I, I you know obviously like you don't think he was yeah, one of the pi- could no. could could fly today. No, absolutely not. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, he was he was a pioneer of his industry, right? And so like it's it's you would expect that by now people like by now someone should be better at acting than James Cagney, right? Like yeah. most people should. For sure. He was the first one doing it like a hundred years ago. Yeah. So I'm not saying he wasn't good for his day. Yeah. But I do think that the performance has not aged quite as well as like maybe um, uh, some some other stuff that was like a little newer. Like I think like 
Like the Henry Fonda stuff. Like by then we had gotten it so figured out. Like I think Henry right, Fonda's like great. Humphrey Bogart. Also, I've only seen two James Cagney films, so right. I'm judging him off of you know two <laughs> two, two films. You know, and uh, that, you know, I, I, I will. I'm innocent. Sucks. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, I like the movies, but I guess, you know, I, I got notes is all I'm saying. Um, yeah. But I also, uh, before we jump into, uh, like, his backstory, I, I kind of wanted to elaborate on one thing. Um, because some people, first-time listeners, and everyone's a first-time listener because it's the first episode. Mm. So first-time listeners are probably like, well, I thought this was the history of film, not the history of James Cagney. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so what we're kind of trying to do is we're trying to take a, an element of film history and kind of tell that story through a actor or a person that's like emblematic of that thing. Yeah. And so James Cagney's like real claim to fame is he's like the first real movie star. Yeah, I think James Cagney is absolutely when it comes to talkies, when it comes to not silent film but talking films, mm-hmm. James Cagney in my opinion. I mean not even just in my opinion, he is one of the very first movie stars to come out of film that had full sound, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And it was what's interesting to me, James Cagney movies. Um, I just it. One of the reasons why I want to make this show is because we all have. I think a lot of people have the wrong conception of or a misconception of like what film was like back then. I mean, these black and whites were good. Mm-hmm. You know, these black mm-hmm. and white films back in the day were so well written, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um, I showed uh, I showed Drake one of these films, and Deb, I'm sure you've probably run across it while we're doing research for this, but. Uh, it was called The Great Guy. It's just called Great Guy. It was 1936. James Cagney plays a an officer for the Weights and Balances Bureau for the city. So he would literally just go around to like markets and find people putting lead rods and chickens to like weigh more and stuff like that. And it was just I don't know, it was they, but the but the shots and the way the camera moves and the writing and the acting and the dialogue it they were already making film, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't think you can go... I think you can go back and watch a black and white and get just as much, if not more, from it than modern-day film. And honestly, I, 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 we were making movies like we've been making since the beginning, although it was way different. <laughs> because in, in, in the second episode, I'll get into it, but they were like... There was, at one point in James Cagney's life... He was on set of Warner Brothers, and there was a shot where a guy's shooting at him with a Thompson submachine gun. So they actually shot a Thompson submachine gun like five feet away from him. They had this like sharpshooter Thompson Jesus. submachine gun guy. And yeah, I'll get into the whole story, Whoa, but crazy. film was wild back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot, a lot less regulations. Well, this, yeah. is, this is what I was going to touch on when Drake, you made your harsh <laughs> criticism of Mr. James Cagney. I'm just kidding. Right? I, I was I was being Coming overdramatic my myself. Uh, <laughs> look, I, in the light of the acting aspect, he there was theatrical acting since the Greeks. There was right. good acting. There's no excuse for a bad actor being a bad actor. You should be able. There's the training is out there. The experience is out there for hundreds of years. Um, so I don't think that was the issue. But the medium in which the performance was occurring was the problem. Like, uh-huh. like the uh, art form was so young. There wasn't, there, yeah, films exactly. had not been so around. New. 
So we stand on the shoulders of giants. So, of course, now we're going to have a lot better actors because they're going to have more time and more bodies of work to have right. examined There's in the past. There's been millions of people before. Whereas, like, yeah. like James said, like, how, how you know, much acting with sound was there before him in that era? Oh, yeah. for sure. It was vaudeville. Yeah, yeah for and sure. silent film. And, and you I got mean, to do different too. stuff with, the, you know, different techniques of how you're conveying story and shit, obviously. With silent. Oh, absolutely. And I think it was good. I really do think he was a good actor. There's been some scenes that I've watched of his where I thought, I mean, I thought he was great. You know, I really do. Um, Yeah. And I mean, that's all I was trying to say that, like, yes, uh, acting has been around for thousands of years, but film acting is way different than theater acting. You know what I mean? And so if you're taking a lot of, like, theater acting into film, like, it's going to be like an awkward transition sometimes. So, well, Um, I mean, it works only in certain circumstances, generally in musicals. When you do a movie musical, Mm -hmm. So, like, Yankee Doodle Dandy was probably the reason that worked to audiences and was so popular is because he was probably doing that over-the-top, you know, very, like, Broadway-esque, reach-the-back-of-the-house, over-exaggerate-everything and make it a fucking caricature because that's just how stage shows are done. But then you you get, you know, some of the actors you mentioned after that came in, like, Fonda, and were, like, stoic and, like, really, Mm, like, utilized the space and the silence of film to, like, Yeah, Humphrey Bogart, man. Yeah. I I watched Casablanca last night, and Humphrey Bogart... He was he was a he was a, an objectively good actor. Like that man mm-hmm. was so good. Oh, dude, I love. Casablanca. Yeah, we'll absolutely do a whole episode of Casablanca and Humphrey Bogart. Um, yeah, the, the history of Casablanca is actually really interesting because yeah. it's like the the way that movie ended was kind of up in the air for a while. Yeah, well, they filmed it during the war with actual refugees wow. from France. Oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah, there were. Uh, we'll, we'll, I can't, we'll, we'll save it. We'll save it. I can't wait for that one. <laughs> Let's save um, it. I, I really want you to get into like your actual like the you you did so much work to write these notes and like yeah. chronicle his life. But I just realized, like, we never really actually introduced ourselves because this is the first episode of kind of the That's film true. history reboot. Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, James, you're the host. Who are you? Yeah. So those of you who uh, used to listen to me and Dev do this back in the day, uh, I am either Jimmy Deloy or James Scott. I haven't decided yet, but <laughs> probably, you know, it used to be like, this is film history with Jimmy Deloy <laughs> and Dev. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm either Dev, Devi Dev, Sailor Dev, Young Dev, Thug. Sailor Dev. Uh, that was what it was. It was Dev Jimmy DeLoy and Sailor Dev. Sailor Dev. Because yeah. so we were just yeah. using whatever names. But yeah, I'm fine with whatever. But anyways, Devin Mueller, guys. Uh, radio show host, producer, writer, former actor. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I'll social media app creator and founder. Now, <laughs> recently, yeah. 2020 yes. Survivor. Cool. 2020 survival. I am I am uh, Drake Cummings' professional friend. Uh, <laughs> so no, yeah, I linked up with these guys. Uh, background in uh, like video games, yeah. all things actually, um, but uh, passionately interested in film. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, I, I've been a I've been a film producer out here for you know to to a to a capacity. Uh, yeah, of we're, some sort. We're uh, all killer bit. film producers. Yeah. We're all like you know the types of dudes who like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> who, who say who we're say just, dudes and <laughs> yeah, we were dudes, but we're not dudes. Harvey Weinstein type. Don't no, worry, we're not never. like Harvey Weinstein. I would never, I would never do that. No, no, no. Um, Even though Dev's, I think Dev's related to him. Right? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I write a little bit and stuff and act sometimes, but uh, but yeah, producing's where the where the money comes from. Um, and 
And I, just as a little context, James, you are uh, damn near close to like a film historian. Like you've seen movies from like all the decades and stuff. Yeah. Um, Dev, what uh, I, I mean, you you you're a movie aficionado as yes. well. From what yeah, I understand, I mean, I grew you. up performing. I was in uh, from yeah. the Earth to the Moon with Tom Hanks, it was a miniseries. I was on HBO when I was a kid. I was uh, in Les Mis on Broadway and shit. So like, yeah, I was about been, to say, Dev was on fucking Broadway. Dude, interested in the in yeah. all aspects of performing arts forever. I grew up in a yeah. dance studio, so I got like a wow. very ex- like wide range background because I couldn't yeah. play sports as a kid. My aunt owned a dance studio that my mom worked at, so it was between film and theater that I spent all of my childhood and adulthood and I, now too. I, I never grew up. I grew I'm up still dancing. A I grew up dancing in my uncle's basement. Absolutely, that's yeah. hilarious. Um, and then I, I'm here. I don't I'm know here if it's the... Spotify friendly, but we'll <laughs> go for it. <laughs> I'm here to bring the Gen Z perspective here. I started watching movies in like the yeah. fucking early 2000s, and. Yeah. I have I, I like I really fan of movies like from the black and white era, but like I, maybe you guys will change my mind on this. I hate movies movies from the eighties for the most oh, part. Movies from the eighties like really so good. Yeah, movies from the eighties I got like an issue if they're just too cheesy for me. But I'm a big fan of like old movies and a big fan of like new movies and stuff. But I I'm like in the camp that I think like art just progressively gets better. Yeah. And so I think like movies made in the last 10 years are better than movies made from any other era. People will fight me on this, but we'll see as we go, you know. No, it I'm, is, I'm down to expose myself to new new films. I know as what you mean. I mean, the 80s this. were interesting because it is like, how did we go from such like crisp HD looking like 35 millimeter films to like the 80s where shit looks like they rubbed Vaseline on the <laughs> lens? That was interesting. There's some 80s, there's some 80s ones that are good though. You yeah. Gotta, yeah, yeah. The 80s much, were just uh, a lot of cocaine. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's too much cocaine in the line budget. Yeah, <laughs> they were all sneezing on Yo, the lens. So I mean, here's here's my here, here's my big uh, my big differential. So like for example, I think Terminator One is a terrible fucking movie, oh. but Terminator Two is one of my favorite movies of all times, and that's the difference between the '80s and '90s to okay. me. T One versus T Two is the difference between the '80s and '90s to See, me. See, '90s to me is where it's it's just not got too well. Much. I don't know, man. Here's I mean, a here's a question for you then: Which do you think is a better movie, Jaws or Jurassic Park? Jurassic mm. Park, dude. Absolutely. Jaws. Mm. Oh, my God. Jaws mm. in a second. In a fucking... <laughs> yeah. Dude, when he chomps down on Quint, it's still to this day one of the most disturbing, terrifying scenes in film history to me ever. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll, I, I, well, well, these will all be future episodes. Yeah, yeah, But yeah. for the time being, right. take us away on, yeah. on Jamie C. So, New York, 1899. James Francis Cagney was born on the Lower East Side of Manhattan to Carol and James Francis Cagney Sr., who was a bartender and amateur boxer. Uh, he's listed on his son's birth certificate as a telegraphist, though, which is a very, like, 1899 <laughs> job. Like, telegraphist, dude. Telegraphs. Man. Yeah. He was like, man, these phone companies are coming for my job. He's just, like, sexting on a telegraph. He's like, yeah, baby, like, how high are your stockings, you know? <laughs> Cagney was of Norwegian and Irish descent. He stood at five foot four, had flaming red hair and blue eyes, which a lot of people don't know because, you know, it was all black and white. Right. Uh, Was five foot four short even for them? That, actually, no. Like, uh, Humphrey Bogart was about five foot five. Really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, man. Humphrey Bogart, that movie that, in Casablanca, there's another actor. uh, Oh, it was Peter Lorre. He was super (laughs) short. Anyway, I'm going to keep going. Is he Hugh Laurie's, like, great-grandfather? (laughs) Yeah. 
Maybe. Maybe. Peter Lorre is uh, House. The, well, it's uh, the sh- the Schiffer robe. <laughs> the Schiffer robe. Cagney's biographers disagree on the exact location of his birth, which to me is so fucking cool because like, that's only something that could have happened back in those days. Nowadays, like you know, we we know where you're born, Dev. We know exactly where you were born, especially with that uh. You know, the, the microchips being put into you by the COVID-19 vaccine. Anyway, he was the second of seven kids, two of now, whom died upon birth. Now we're definitely two not going to di- sell the show. <laughs> wait, wait, two of who died of what? Yeah, he was the second of seven kids, two of whom died at birth. Oh, died at birth. Yeah, okay. so he was, I thought you said died of lumber. I was like, the fucking trees fall lumber. on them? <laughs> Timber? They were lumberjacks. <laughs> They died. I mean, hey, you had to get a job early back then, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like, you're 13, you don't have a job, you ain't gonna make it in this life. But yeah, one day it was just him and his big brother, Henry, who was two years older than him, and then suddenly there's three more kids, and two die. It was was a very uh, early 1900s Manhattan type of home. His family was extremely poor, and he was born pretty sickly, so his mother was said to have been worried he wouldn't even make it to his baptism. Um, which would not be good because if you die as a baby before your baptism, you are now Satan's baby. <laughs> That's a proven fact. That it's like Monopoly. You go straight to hell. Yeah. You go, do, do, do not collect $200. <laughs> you don't pass go. Pass go and go to hell. <laughs> uh, his family moved twice while he was young, first to East 79th Street and then to East 96th Street. He was confirmed at St. Francis de Say Roman Catholic Church in Manhattan. Uh, the very fa- the very same church that he would have his funeral in in 1986. So when he died, wow. he had his funeral in the same church he was born in. Wow. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. hold on, hold on. He mm-hmm. was born in a church, not a hospital. No, he was confirmed in the church. Oh, his okay. mother was worried that he was going to fucking die as a baby. Right. Oh, okay. Oh, so she's so, like okay. running down the street with his baby in her arms, like this kid's about to die. And then she took him with yeah, water. Yeah, she like kicks open the doors to the church, and she's like, "Do your do your water thing. Drown him. Drown this baby in Drown the holy him. He's about water. To die. He's about to die." <laughs> no. So she got him. She got him confirmed at that church, okay. and he had his funeral okay. at the very same church, and they were Sweet. still spraying that holy water. Sweet. Even yeah. at his funeral, mm-hmm. you know. You gotta dunk the corpse. You gotta dunk the corpse. <laughs> <laughs> you never want to run to a Catholic church and be like, I've got a baby for you. <laughs> <laughs> Can I leave him for a couple hours? <laughs> That's the fire station next door, man. <laughs> uh, oh, so I was wondering something. <laughs> Dev, you'll love this. So, James Cagney, right? He dies in 1986. So he had to have known about Motley Crue. <laughs> right? What do you think, Deb? Oh, Deb's doing stuff. No, no, I'm good. Uh, okay. I think that's a great idea. <laughs> we might have to... Wait, 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 wait. We wait. might have to roll this back a little bit. I think that's a great idea. It's not an answer to the question, though. I know. I was, <laughs> okay. I was distracted by fixing uh, my computer really quick. My apologies. Deb thinks it's a great idea for James Cagney to see Motley Crue, and I agree I, with I him. I think he was not into him. I think he was <laughs> yeah. like, these, 
Music went down the drain when it went all electric, see? <laughs> yeah, see? What happened to the good old piano? Which is funny because he was like that when he started doing movies. They were all like, look at this actor talking in this movies. What a hack, you know? We, we do silent films around these parts, damn it. He was the Motley Crue of his time. Talking tongue. is for the uncivilized. <laughs> Um, you know, that's always how it goes, though. The pioneers didn't get mad when other shit is, like, new Damn and pioneering. Right. Damn right. You yeah. gotta hate on the new stuff. Gotta hate it. Yep. So, growing up, uh, Cagney's Irish boxer bartender father was, surprise, surprise, a uh, huge drunk. <laughs> the Irish... The Irish boxer? Yeah. <laughs> you don't say. You don't say. The early 1900s Irish boxer dad, had, he, liked to, he liked to have a nip or two here and there. And, uh, yeah, so he would often rage and, you know, throw shit at his kids and throw his kids out of windows. And, no, I don't know. I don't know if he actually threw them out of a window. Maybe, though. Uh, but it didn't make it easier on little Jimmy that he was very passionate about tap dancing. Can you? Co- hold on. Can you imagine that household where you're like your drunk Irish boxing father comes home for a dance, fight? Daddy. Yeah, and you're like, I want to tap dance. A little bit no tap tension in here, boy. Hey. I, I can't imagine why he might have gotten hit. I'm just saying. I don't know. Hey, there'll be no tap dancing around here, little buddy. <laughs> that Scottish you're, you're just going to go break rocks in the cave. <laughs> You're going to go mine for the rocks like your daddy. Look, there ain't no no self-respecting drunk that would put on them tap shoes, boy. You got to choose. Are you going to be a drunk like your father? Are you going to be a tap dancer? Maybe he learned how to tap dance to like dodge his dad's like flying (laughs) shit that he's throwing around the house, you know? And then his dad just puts on clogs and river dances on top of the bar. (laughs) Again, super, not, not Irish. Yo, but uh, I've, that, I've, wait, river dance is not Irish. Is wait, that Scottish. The well, uh, clogs are clogs are oh, not clogs Irish. Are are they? Oh, yeah, okay. clogs are well, Dutch. Oh, well, I don't know, man. I'm American. Hey, man, I don't know other hey, cultures. This film history. This ain't geography. My, my history. dad's great grandfather came from Ireland, so I'm like legally allowed to to talk shit. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I'm Irish too. Sure. Sure. Plus, they're white people. Yeah. Exactly. So this, you know, there's no, there's no, there's no offense. Being done here, only only good fun from descended Irish. This is a comedy podcast. This isn't Dan Carlin, hardcore history, all right? <laughs> Who's Dan Carlin? He's just hardcore history. Oh, you. my God. What's hardcore history? <laughs> it one is of, hardcore One of the best history. podcasts out there. <laughs> one of the best podcasts in the world. Yeah, he, it, This episode is brought say, to you by Hardcore History. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, Hardcore History is like our podcast, except for uh, very serious. <laughs> All right, well, he's not paying us. So, like, what else can you tell us about James Cagney? Okay, so James Cagney became known around the neighborhood for his tap dancing. And uh, <laughs> For real? Yeah, for real. He became like a locally nice. famous little tap dancer, and so much to the point, so he would he would tap dance on slanted cellar doors around the neighborhood, and he became known as Cellador Cagney. Wait, really? <laughs> Cellador Cagney. That's hilarious. Tap dancing, making his father very disappointed. Apparently. You know what? That's, that's a good Instagram handle. If yeah. Instagram was around at the time... Cellador Cagney. Cellador would, would, Cagney. That would trend. Maybe that should be my name on this podcast. Cellador. Cellador. Uh, this is Film History, the History of Film, brought to you by Cellador Cagney, <laughs> Cellador, and what's your name, Drake? What's your Just Drake. Just Drake. The- Just Drake. <laughs> <laughs> but don't be mistaken, Dev. 
Old Cagney could beat ass, too. All right. <laughs> he was quite the street fighter. Oh, wait, for real? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. He was, a, I mean, he was five foot four with red hair and like a, an abusive dad. I imagine he, uh, you know, I imagine he learned how to fight pretty quick. <laughs> but uh, so much so, uh, he became an amateur boxer and even the runner up for the New York State lightweight title. And he had a thing, I'm going to bring it up a little bit later, but James Cagney could watch someone's movement, be it a dance or whatever Whatever he was watching, he could memorize it to the point to where he could reenact it really well. After seeing it one time? Yeah, after seeing it one time. He had like a Whoa. weird like photographic memory. It was very interesting. Wow. Uh, and he, he would watch a boxer when he was a kid named Patty McFarlane. Patty McFarlane. I'm sure his dad loved him. And uh, he watched him so much that he memorized all of Patty McFarlane's combos and his footwork. And he basically was like this little Patty McFarlane in the ring. So he like he was a really good boxer, which I guess you have to be because if you're tap dancing in the early 1900s, you probably got to know how to beat ass. You know what I mean? We'll throw hands with them feet. <laughs> Um, yeah, Did his you coach imagine won- him going to perform with just like a shiner and a bottle of whiskey? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, it, that absolutely happened. He was dancing on like a cellar door with like black eyes and, you know, his dad's across the street like, you'll never be nothing, kid. <laughs> well, it's a good thing that life was black and white back then so they couldn't see the oh. bruises as well. <laughs> that's, that's how I see history. Like... If I, like any time I hear a story from the 1900s, I can't imagine it in HD and I can't imagine it in color. So I feel like I feel like people's eyes worked like television. So Absolutely, everyone just saw things in SD, four by three, black and white. That's... Oh yeah, yeah. When he was dancing on those cellar doors, it was all in black and white. Yeah, everybody. Yeah, you know, the, yeah. you know, lots of things were in black and white. Like you know, water fountains, bathrooms. Oh no! Right, right, I mean, right. <laughs> Oh, it's no. probably it's probably not the best of lens to look through. <laughs> this is the oh, funniest no. part about this is one of the uh, interesting parts about film history is like Dev and I were doing uh, those first episodes back in the day, and it does. I, I will just warn everyone listening: surprise, surprise! This was a very racist time. <laughs> <laughs> it's like every place we did research, we found something <laughs> that was we did a, ho- like deplorable and offensive <laughs> and ridiculous. We did a fucking episode on the Hollywood sign, and it turns out that the Hollywood sign was originally erected as Hollywood land for an all-whites neighborhood that they were building in Beverly Hills. True that is both story. living in so, Hollywood now. That yeah. is a both depressing history fact and very ironic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Considering yeah, yeah. like Hollywood's like one of the most diverse and yeah. interesting, culturally interesting like streets I've ever lived on. Yeah, but, but Beverly Hills, Beverly Hills. Yeah. Isn't div- <laughs> I don't live in That's Beverly true. Hills. I live in Hollywood. I know Hollywood. they just moved the neighborhood. They kept headed towards the water. <laughs> so the Palisades so, yeah. are the right there. So, so Cagney's, yeah. Cagney's coaches wanted to book him a pro fight. They wanted him to be a boxer. Uh, but, you know, like you do in the 1910s, he was also kind of messing around playing semi-pro baseball at the time. This ball is crushed. What the fuck? Yep. You know, like you do. And uh, he really wanted to go to the major leagues instead. And so he quit boxing to pursue baseball. Yeah, things back in those days, you just kind of did stuff. <laughs> and you could just do stuff. Wait, like, and so, like, 
How do he make his money though? Is he just making money like doing boxing matches and baseball yep. games? Yep. Boxing matches and baseball games are probably getting tips as old cellar door cagney. Wow. Don't forget. He's wow. probably making quite a mint off of uh the cellar door dances that he was doing. Yeah, this is impressive. Definitely not getting money from his dad. I don't imagine uh, <laughs> his dad gave him <laughs> Yeah, so he, uh, he he pursued baseball instead. Um, instead of getting his brains pounded out by very early 1900s leather gloves, uh, Cagney went to Stuyvesant High School in New York, which was a primarily Jewish school. So he learned Yiddish because he said everybody knew Yiddish at school. He wanted to learn Yiddish. Uh, his older brother, Harry, graduated two years before him, and Harry went on to pursue an acting career in New York uh, as soon as he graduated, while James was still in high school, and he found some success in vaudeville pretty much right off the bat. Just kind of like, you know, these are these are those, these are those types of like brothers who are both talented. Whatever, whatever, man. Um, <laughs> James managed. To, <laughs> James managed to survive his drunk dad long enough to graduate. <laughs> That's in my notes, and was inducted into Columbia College in 1918. So he goes to he goes to Columbia College. Dude, what? This sounds like this sounds like Forrest Gump. It's yeah. just like there's just this man who's this just is, good at everything. This is everyone that we are gonna do film history on. Uh they're just we, all freaks of nature. They're just all freaks of nature who did crazy, crazy things. I remember again, not to like hark back to old episodes, but Dev and I did one on Will Rogers. Will, and Rogers, Will Rogers was wild. Wild, dude. Will Rogers was just like, maybe I'll go start a ranch in Guatemala, and then maybe I'll like come back and like take my rope trips to New York City and do vaudeville, and you know, like get discovered by huge producers in New York. It was so. Wait, I have a question though. Yeah. Well, maybe we can get to this when because Cagney joins vaudeville at some point, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, when we get to that part of our story, explain what vaudeville is. Okay. So yeah, yeah for sure. That is a that's a good idea. Actually, I will. Uh... Put that here in the notes. Cool. <laughs> Put him in the notes. He's inducted into Columbia College in 1918. He chose art as his major, enrolled in the Student Army Training Corps, now known as the Reserve Officers Training Corps, or ROTC, and started taking German, which is interesting. <laughs> I'm just saying. He doesn't know how ironic it is yet that he's learning German and Yiddish at the same time. <laughs> His college career was cut short after one semester when the 1918 flu pandemic struck and killed his father. Whoa. So, oh, what's a pandemic like? Yeah, right? That's what I'm saying. Like, can you imagine if this happened again? Like a pandemic strikes yeah, the I, earth? Yeah, I couldn't. I don't I don't think we would handle it well. No, I don't think so either. I don't think like, any any yeah. government would be very good. But we would probably get stimulus checks like every month. Well, nah. Wasn't was his dad <laughs> think, though? Wasn't his dad just drunk all the time, getting punched in the head? Yeah, I don't know basically. If that's good for your health in a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, who knows if he died from the Spanish flu or just like you know died from being who he was—a liver know? failure concussion. Liver failure. He had a concussion on his liver. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, thank God nothing like that ever happened again. No more pandemics. Yeah, couldn't imagine. So old Cagney goes home after burying his father. Cagney got to work to support his family. He held a lot of odd jobs that were extremely early 1900s type of jobs. <laughs> he worked as a junior architect, a copy boy for the New York Sun, which was he would literally cut excerpts from pages of the newspaper and paste them 
on to like where they were going to go and they would send it through the final print and stuff. That was his job. He worked as a bellhop, a draftsman, which is a guy who drafts designs for architects, and as a bookkeeper for the New York City Public Library. And he had other jobs too. He worked at like restaurants. He, he usually would have like two or three jobs at a time. Uh, okay. Every day to yeah. go to, you know. Wait, no, so question, how old is he at this time, do you think? At this time, it was 1918. He was born in ni- 1899, so he was 37. Is what? that the right math? <laughs> wait, wait, Dev, can you just use that? That's right Mississippi numbers? Public School math. He was 80. <laughs> Dev, do you know how old he was? Uh, I didn't hear the numbers, 19. so I'd have to go. So he's born in eight. He was born in eight. Oh my god, we can't put this. In what there. is the date? He was born, at, <laughs> he was born in eighteen ninety nine and is now nineteen eighteen. He's seventeen. <laughs> <laughs> this whole episode is just a sound test. <laughs> the fuck? Oh, well, how was he in college at seventeen? Oh, because it was, you know, 1900. It was like, I mean, you could go to college whenever you wanted to. As a matter of fact, because, like, as soon no, as you're born, they're like, are you going to no, go or not? No, bro. That's because grade school ended earlier. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh. If you were still alive after grade school, you could go straight to college. That was the rule. <laughs> How many grades like, there used to be? There was only as, as, as long as you could live. That was it. <laughs> Wait, wasn't there weren't always 12, 12 years? No way, man. No. You can't last that long. Not back in those days. You're going to die. 12 hey, years back in those days. Public education ends in fifth grade? Yeah, it is, it's time to go to work. <laughs> time to get to work, boy. <laughs> um, wait, wait. So what, what, um, what, what about his mother? What about his mother? Is, is she around ever? Yeah, yeah. She's around. She's just like dodging shit that his dad just throwing at her. <laughs> well, but, I mean, oh, women didn't work at this time, did they? Yeah, she's just like, <laughs> her, no, no, no. His, women were not allowed to work. His yeah. mom is is her dad's corner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his mom's just like at the house taking care of the kids and like dodging beer bottles that are smashing against the wall Jesus. until his ass dies of the flu. I'm sure she was so sad about that. <laughs> So after burying, <laughs> after burying the uh, best father ever known to man, Cadney got to work to support the family, got all those jobs. Oh, I, I just, I imagine James Cagney as a bellhop too, because he was a very angry man. So like, I just imagine like, if you didn't tip him enough, he would just like punch you in the face. Because by the way, that is one thing we're going to get into. James Cagney loved punching people in the face, uh, particularly in movies. When it was supposed to be a fake punch, <laughs> a lot of times you get you would get knocked out. A lot of times you get knocked out by Xboxer, James Cagney. Dude. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Yeah, I mean, He's hey like, man, I'm method Drake. before method existed. Exactly. My method is to knock you out in this scene. <laughs> that is the method. Jesus. So, so you said he was a very angry person. Was he not pleasant to be around? I don't. I mean, in a, in his interviews, he seems kind of like a sweet thoughtful guy but apparently he had a, a short fuse okay so i bet he was one of those dudes who was cool until he wasn't okay you know sure um 
Yeah, I don't know. A lot of those actors back in those days were. I don't imagine Humphrey Bogart was like always the funnest dude to be around. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. I and mean, when he grew up dodging beer bottles, I guess. Yeah. For um, sure. Brando so, was notorious for that. There was yeah, a Brando was a. Uh, yeah, he was terrible. Wow. <laughs> Interesting. Good to know nothing's ever changed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But Cagney looked back on all these jobs fondly. He was quoted saying, It was good for me. I feel sorry for the kid who has a too cushy of a time and suddenly has to come face to face with the realities of life without any mama or papa to do his thinking for him. Mm. So Cagney really, he had that like hardworking spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he had three jobs at a time and he was still dancing on cellar doors and shit. So he, sure. was, he was out there doing his thing. Also, important to remember, there was a lot less to do back then. Yeah. He didn't have Netflix. No. He did like, not have Netflix yet. <laughs> if like if he wasn't working three jobs a day on the doors, he would just be laying in his very uncomfortable yeah. bed, being like, "There's nothing to do." See? Yeah, no, exactly. He he'd be getting bottles thrown at him from his fucking dad. <laughs> <laughs> He's tap dancing away from him. He's like, "I gotta get the hell out of the house." <laughs> He's like, "Dad, throw another one at me. I gotta practice like my left hook." You know, like you just punching bottles out of the yeah, air. Yeah, yeah. Bow, bow, bow. That was how they used to do it. He's Amazing. like, "You'll never be nothing, kid." <laughs> That was, I don't know what accent that was. (laughs) Um, So, while holding down the job at the New York City Public Library, one of the regulars who would come to the library was a woman named Florence James, uh, a legendary acting coach and stage director in New York. And when she'd come around, she basically would tell Cagney, uh, you know, his brother Harry at this time is already acting. He's already out there in vaudeville. And... Florence James would come in and basically say, like, why don't you act like your brother? You know, like, you're, you got mm-hmm. the look, you got the, you got the spark, you're a very mm-hmm. personable guy. You should get on stage. You should start acting. But he was, he was more, he was a dancer. Also, uh, his real passion at the time was farming. So much to the what? point to where, yeah, he wanted to be a farmer. That was his whole goal in life was to go have a farm somewhere and, you know, milk some cows and invite his cousin over or whatever. This like man is an enigma. He's his an dream enigma. in life was to have an incredibly hard and, like, <laughs> like toilsome life his entire like life. He was yeah. like, all I want, all I want, see, is to wake up every morning at the crack of dawn, do back-breaking <laughs> labor, and never get any rest. So much to the point where he attended a soil conservation lecture in New York, and he was looking for plots of land where... He could, you know, lay some seed, wow. baby. You lay know, some seed. grow Look, his I'm not, corn. I'm not saying that farmers aren't very essential to Absolutely. like civilization. I'm saying I didn't know anyone who like had a shot of acting was ever just like, I wish I had more <laughs> a more physical job. <laughs> yeah, Steven Spielberg comes into your job and he's like, you should act, and it's like, no, man, I want to grow corn. I like, like construction, actually. I, yeah, I love. <laughs> I love. My back being sore is my favorite part of it. There's plenty of uh, people that do side work. Keanu Reeves builds fucking motorcycles. Oh, for sure. Don't oh, for sure. Wrong. But none of these hurt your lower back after like a couple years of doing them. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Like, I'm pretty yeah. sure like Keanu's not lifting pipes. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, <laughs> well, like he's lifting hobbies. one pipe. Like, I'm saying like, <laughs> yeah. like something like farming is such hard work. Like, it's just like I, I applaud anyone who can do that for like their entire life. I've heard, that is, for like, sure. I've heard Keanu Reeves is one of the best pipe layers in the world. I'm just saying. <laughs> for sure, <laughs> to both of us. <laughs> So, uh, so Florence James actually, and her husband Burton, um, Dev, you probably know about these. They went on to start Playhouse Theater. Um, in they New started York? the first. 
Yeah, they well, they started the first one in Seattle, oh, and okay. it would eventually become the Playhouse Theater chain. Uh, it's a chain of acting schools, Drake. It's called Playhouse. Okay. Um, I once went to Playhouse West, and that's where I audited the class in Beverly Hills where Jeff Goldblum was teaching, oh. and he gave me a headache because uh, he was just basically telling me, to tell my scene partner what color their shirt was over and over and over Jeff again. Jeff Goldblum seems like he'd be a frustrating acting coach. Yeah, he was. Because he's he, he kind of has he kind of has like a you know how in uh, like movies and TVs and stuff the acting coaches are all like eccentric old like gypsy ladies. Yeah, he kind of has that vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, he's very. Uh, I, man, Marlon Brando had a cool acting school at one point. It sounded like it was a lot of fun to go to. But yeah, Deb, have you ever had any? Uh, any experience with like these playhouse theater acting schools? Uh, I've audited class at the Playhouse over in Beverly Hills. It's a cool place, very cool. But she, yeah. yeah, she and her husband Florence and Burton James are the ones who started it. She was the one who was going in the library telling Cagney that he needed to start acting. He did finally make a small break into the film industry. He was visiting his aunt in Brooklyn. And his aunt lived across the street from Vitagraph Studios. What is that? So it's one of the most prolific studios in the world at the time. It was a giant studio, and the way it started sort of loops back around uh, some information in an older episode that we did about Thomas Edison uh, patenting the film projector in 1896. Edison was a bitch, yo. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Man. That was that was some interesting stuff. We're gonna have to. We'll definitely release those old episodes uh, whenever we're not like recording. One yeah, it'll be like right. special episodes that we yeah. put out over like the holidays and stuff, and we yeah. can't get together to film new ones. Yeah, Thomas Edison patented the film projector in 1896. Uh, he was basically, you know, the first one to do that. Englishman J. Stuart Blackton was working as a journalist for the New York Evening World, and he was sent to interview Edison about his new invention. And by the time he wrapped up the interview with Edison, he bought a bunch of projectors and reels of film from Edison. And so by 1897, he had set up a shop on a rooftop on Nassau Street in Manhattan, where he started Vitagraph Studios as a direct competition with Edison, which was... It was pretty ballsy to go up against Edison in those days. I mean, he was, like, killing people. (laughs) Edison was not a nice man. Um... I actually know a lot about that history. I'd be down to do a do a more Dude, uh, like in depth um, episode on on the the whole Edison thing. Kind of Edison indirectly helped start Hollywood because yeah. of because of his antics. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. He did. He was a crazy man. He was definitely <laughs> a crazy man. So they made the very first stop motion film. It was called Humpty Dumpty Circus. Whoa! Um, that early? Yeah, that early. Wow. They they made the very first one. They got their claim to fame when they sent Vitagraph cameramen to roll footage on the Spanish-American War in 1898. That was, like, how they, you know, became known. Uh, The short films they were making in the war were being distributed around the U.S. as the very first propaganda films. And uh, they were also the first studio to film staged events and pass them off as propaganda. (laughs) Interesting. (laughs) Yeah. That... You got to Google this. They 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 were making these videos. One of them, uh, there's there's a video out there called "The War Films Made with Toys," 
And it was a bunch of films that Blackton and his business partner, Albert Smith, made with models and miniatures. And they were passing them off as footage from Cuba and shit. Yeah. Apparently. What? Yeah. Apparently they just didn't have enough footage or their footage was, you know, they were just coming back with not enough. And so they were putting like model boats and bathtubs and stuff and filming whole war scenes and they would pass it off as like Vitagraph Studios. Oh, well, I mean, I mean, that's kind of what they did for a long time. Like, I mean, like a lot of action scenes are done on miniatures and stuff and like, uh, like all Star Wars space scenes and even like, uh, interstellar and stuff like use miniatures. That's cool. So that was like the first kind of use of like miniatures. Yeah. But they were passing it off as real footage for war propaganda. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. 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 And, Interesting. Um, yeah, anyways, they did a shit ton of silent films after that, and they got bought by Warner Brothers in the 30s and are credited with creating some of the very first movie stars ever, including Florence Turner, known as the Vitagraph Girl. Mm-hmm. She was one of the first movie stars. It was cool, though. We did a whole thing about how they used to do it where uh, they'd play the silent film in the theater, and the studio would send over music for the band or the piano player or the organ player or whoever it was, they'd send over music to play along with the film. Yeah, play live. Yeah, and that yeah. was how they did it. Oh, very cool. Fuck it, we'll do it live. <laughs> so there's very actually cool. fun fact, and you guys should check this out in L.A. The Nutter Cutter or Netter Cutter Museum is in uh, the valley, like between the valley and Santa Clarita, and it's an old car museum of this guy who is a, a billionaire who started a makeup line and he has all like two stories of the world's most expensive extensive historical car collection but in there is called the Wurlitzer organ he has a piano oh, yeah, organ yeah the Wurlitzer and it's it's one of like four or five in the world that's left and a German Wurlitzer is a different organ built into a room also with sound effects so they would play a movie and then have people playing this Wurlitzer organ, but not only with like musical instruments and percussion, they'll have like a sound effect for like a train, like a train right. horn, like behind a curtain, behind the screen. So it'll be a loud train horn will fucking blow while you're watching the movie. So like the sound effects and the score for the movie sounded more live than, you know, the best surround sound that we have in theaters today. Because it was wow. essentially a live band in live folly happening at the same time as what you were watching with screen. Yeah. It's that's right. so we dope. Should, yeah. That's you should yeah, check out, they do tours and they do like uh, performances of the Wurlitzer and you can still oh, go nice. there once a month and watch a movie. On well, the Wurlitzer. probably not right now because COVID, but yeah. uh, wait, right. you, said this place, American you said this place is called the nut cutter. <laughs> it's it's like the netter cutter or nutter cutter. It's the last name of the guy's family. It's the Nuttercutter Nutter Cutter Museum. My name is David Nutcutter. David Nutcutter. It's, a, <laughs> I pe- it's I off the... Uh, it should be like off of the five or something, headed north. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dope. I uh, I performed the first vasectomy. My name is David, <laughs> David Nutcutter. <laughs> so, <laughs> so wait, so wait, uh, just to... And, you know... I'm uh, I'm starting to realize it probably wasn't a great idea to take shots before this podcast. Yeah. Uh, remind me, <laughs> is, is James Cagney in uh, vaudeville at this point? Not yet. Okay. Not yet. Okay. No, he's still he's still working at a at a library and he's like holding down a bunch of other regular ass jobs. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, so now we've gotten to the point now where so his aunt lives across the street uh, in Brooklyn from Vitagraph Studios, and James Cagney uh, goes and visits his aunt Good. while Cagney was at his aunt's house. He caught word that his favorite comedic actor, John Bu- John Bunny, 
was filming one of his hilarious short comedies at the studio. Cagney climbed the fence and snuck into the studio and watched them film from hiding spots around the set. And he made this a regular thing. He would sneak on, he'd sneak on the lot and watch them film movies. And at some point, he got caught. And basically, people started to recognize him as, like, this weird kid who would sneak onto the studio a lot. And they would make him a PA and stuff. They would just say, like, at least if you're going to be here, make yourself useful. You know? Go <laughs> That's run me the some- moral of the story, kids. Crime and breaking and entering does pay. Well, so I feel like that's one of those things that would absolutely never work today. No, like they would just they would just arrest you. And it it used to work. I mean, all the way up until I have friends who were a little bit older in the industry, but even they as kids in like the seventies, eighties, and nineties would go sneak onto Warner Brothers lot. You know, you could do it back in the day. Supposedly, that's how like Spielberg like got his his yeah. start because he would take tours of Universal. And then he just got out and found empty offices and started working in it. <laughs> yeah. And then eventually they were just like, well, he already works here, I guess. He's already here, I guess. And no one knows if that story is true or not, but that's like the, the myth around his his, yeah. uh, his origin. Yeah. Uh, which, like, absolutely impossible today. They would just arrest you. Yeah, they would definitely just arrest you. You could not make it onto a studio lot these days. <laughs> I used to try to hang out after doing uh, background at, like, mm-hmm. Warner Brothers when they were checking us all out sometimes i would successfully do it me and a few friends would like hang out afterwards and just let everyone leave and then we had like free reign of warner brothers but you'd always get caught by some late night security guard who would tell you to get the fuck out right yeah (laughs) oh no when they were filming once upon a time in hollywood like in my front yard basically i would try and just like walk around the set and see if there was like something i could just like find to do really quick and yeah. question it they always question they it. always questioned it <laughs> what are you doing here so around this time his aforementioned actor brother harry cagney was performing in a show at the lennox hill neighborhood house a community center on the east side of manhattan that offered adult education classes and other community things including theater the show harry was performing in was a chinese pantomime a type of musical theater stage production designed for family entertainment. And, uh, Drake, I don't know much about pantomimes, but what I do know is that pantomime has a long theatrical history in Western culture, (laughs) dating back to classical theater. It developed partly from the 16th century Commedia d'Arte tradition of Italy and other European and British stage traditions, such as 17th century masks and music halls. Uh, an important part of the pantomime until the late 19th century was the Harlequinade. The style was developed in England and is performed throughout the United Kingdom, Ireland, and to a lesser extent in other English-speaking countries, especially during the Christmas and New Year season. Modern pantomime includes songs, gags, slapsticks, comedy, and dancing. It employs gender-crossing actors and combines topical humor with a story more or less based on a well-known fairy tale, fable, or folk tale. Wait, so question though. Wait, so pantomiming yeah. today is yeah. like charades, basically, right? Yeah, or pantomiming like, now we more know pantomiming is like like when you're doing background and you just act like you're doing something. Oh, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Did but, that term derive from this? Yeah, yeah. Okay, was, and in what way? Because what you described to me is nothing like what. I know it as. So how are the how did that derive into the one thing to the other? We're going to talk about that on the episode of Film History, History of Film, Pantomime. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to waste it here. Everybody's right. waiting for that episode. Of course. Yeah, you yeah, know. yeah. You got to tease it out. Yeah, we got to tease it out right now. Uh, pantomime is a participa- participatory form of theater in which the audience is expected to sing along with certain parts of the music and shout out phrases to the performers. Outside Britain, the word pantomime... Just, uh, 
is often understood to mean miming, rather than the theatrical form described here. Interesting. Okay. But that's all the info I have on Pantomime. Okay. I don't know anything else about it. Well, it, it, the audience interaction <laughs> part's interesting because that kind of reminds me of like Rocky Horror Picture Show and like the yeah. room and stuff where it's like there's like a whole there's yeah. a whole performance from the audience that's expected along with the the actual the, yeah. the show. Yeah. Um, and now so. you're kind of this is kind of like you were saying about like explaining kind of you know vaudeville. vaudeville. Yeah. Okay. Like this is vaudeville. Vaudeville was very much. I mean, I don't mean to compare it to like the circus. But okay. it, the circus is very vaudevillian. Okay. You know, it was uh, traveling shows, widely traveling shows, mm-hmm. and you had your thing that you would do, and you were part of a cast that would travel the world, and you would do like a, a, a multi-talented show where the lady would come out and dance with a snake, and then you'd come out and James Cagney would tap dance. And, okay, fascinating. Yeah. So, It'd be like right, a actually, cabaret mixed with a circus. Right. Okay. So, yeah. like, remember? So, like, in Red Dead Redemption Two, you could kind of go to these shows. That was vaudeville. Okay. Sweet. Yeah. Okay. That cool. is now I know exactly what you're and, talking about. And vaudeville was unique geographically to the Pacific Northwest, is where it started, in right. Seattle, and it was actually like a stagecoach ring that did this traveling circuit, and then from that, the popularity spread and grew to the Midwest, to Chicago, and then all the way east as, like, a style. But it was really, like, this, like, stage cart show that would happen during the summer where all these acts would travel from town to town, Pioneer Town, Pioneer Town, little outpost, and provide, like, the only form of entertainment. Yeah, it would be... You would literally be... If you were a vaudeville performer, you were literally going to mining camps and, uh, you know, like... Places that would hire you, basically, when people were just doing horrible work. Just the most depressing work possible. The most depressing work possible. You would go and, like, liven up their day, and you were right before, like, uh, you know, the working girls who would come in after you. you Okay, all right. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Horribly enough, uh, oftentimes were exploited... you know, younger girls dancing for the entertainment of these hard coal working, coal mine working men. Yeah. Uh, History you know, is was it, was it the best of situations. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, yeah, at one was, point. You know, some aspects would say it's very similar to Hollywood now. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Except for now in Hollywood, you get to kind of stay in one place usually. But, but that's very true. And you don't have to you praise, can, like, you know, wolves in winter and <laughs> you, can do all your, you can do all your terrible terrible things to people in one city and yeah of exactly it all stays uh, a small town out here really it is and then you can tiktok about it yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely <laughs> absolutely yeah at one point i'll get into it later but james cagney and his wife both did vaudeville they both toured with vaudeville shows like as newlyweds like separately <laughs> like they got married and basically separated and went and Interesting. you know did their own but um that was the that was the the way back in the day you were a vaudeville performer and that's all there is to it Interesting so in some ways TikTok is the vaudeville of today TikTok is everyone has their like little bit and you scroll through to the next one so it's like <laughs> oh, imagine that's a vaudeville actually... Very accurate. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it's disappointingly accurate. <laughs> um, so, wait, so was Vaudeville a company or was it like the brand of entertainment? Like, it was, was literally just the... Uh, it's like the style. The style okay. of entertainment. Okay, yeah. cool. It would, like, like, like Dev said, it would, a cabaret. Like, okay, cool. Right. Yeah. Cool, cool. Yeah. Yeah, so Harry's doing his pantomime show at the Community Theater. Uh, theater. 
And guess who is the fucking director of the very show that he's doing? Francis James herself, who, you know, the lady at the library who told mm-hmm. James Cagney he should get into acting. Gotta love New York. So uh, James very easily gets a job as one of the stagehands of this show. And uh, on top of the job he was already holding down at Wanamaker's Department Store, doing God knows what, James Cagney stuff, who knows what he, what he did in, his, in all of his jobs. Uh, so as a stagehand, he watched so many rehearsals that he had that photographic memory of the performance, of everyone's moves, which came in handy when his brother Harry got sick one night and needed a replacement. So James came yelling from the side of the stage, I'll do it. Not really. <laughs> He's yeah. like, I'll do it. Uh, I don't know how it went down exactly. That's how I'd like to think. He's all like, I, it's me. All I can think of is that scene from Walk Hard where uh, the guy can't, like, can't play. And Dewey Cox is like, well, I've seen all the shows. I could probably do it. Yeah. And the guy's like, fuck it. We got to try. We got to try. It works out perfectly. That's exactly how it went. And he came out there. He danced most of everyone's number as like an audition. He knew everybody's moves. He didn't make any mistakes. And, uh, you know, he's old Cellar Door Cagney, man. I mean, he went out there and killed it. Like, he... <laughs> old Cellar Door C. Old Cellar... <laughs> That's the nickname you came up with for Good old Said, Cellar Door Cagney. Cagney. No, that's what the kids in the neighborhood knew him yeah, as. He was yeah, old Cellar Door Cagney, baby. Old CDC. He knew exactly what he was doing. Old CDC. He was just waiting for his opportunity. <laughs> and it came a-knocking, just like you would knock on a cellar door. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> One of uh, James's co-workers at the department store came to see his act, and he tipped off Cagney about some auditions being held for a review called Every Sailor. And a review, Drake, is kind of... It's, it's actually a, a lot like what Dev said, where it's, it's vaudeville meets cabaret. A okay. review was often... It was like a very risque okay. type of show. Cool. That would go on for, you know, you don't bring your kids. Cool. Or you do. It was early yeah. 1900s, you know. <laughs> stop throwing beer bottles at them for one second and bring them to a show, right? And <laughs> see some women lift teach their shirts the, up and stuff. Teach them the birds and the bees. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> teach them the birds and the bees so they can have sex before they die at like 11 years old. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> we'll cut that part. Every sailor, every sailor. <laughs> I, th- I think we should no, leave it. No, we won't. No, we won't. Of everything. Yeah, why not? I'm not cutting it. I don't see anything wrong with that joke. So, Cagney goes to this audition for the show. It was Every Sailor, a wartime play where servicemen. Originally, it was written where uh, a bunch of active servicemen would dress as women and do a chorus line. It was like. Uh, you would do it in war, you know. They would put the boys would put on a show where they put on dresses. It was hilarious. Okay, and so wait, was this was this out of like they didn't let women like act in no, as much in this time no. period, or they just thought it's funny if a man dresses like it's a woman? It's funny if a man dresses as a woman, and also, yeah, no, women were very much involved in all of this. Okay, uh, but w- yeah, men dresses women was very funny to them, and. You know, one of the misconceptions that I mentioned earlier was this, where men were dressing as women on stage. James Cagney, a very, mm-hmm. like, tough guy actor, thought it was hilarious to dress as a woman on stage because it was. It was very funny back then. They, these times that we're talking about are, in some ways, oddly, way less stuffy and conservative than we are nowadays. Like, the 1920s was, everybody was 
doing cocaine and you know being promiscuous and yeah like, sure it was, it was a yeah. party you know yeah. they were also and, you know doing blackface yeah that is yeah, very yeah, true yeah, that is yeah. very true i was There's gonna no say like you, you were like you mentioned that comment about women like yeah you know people jumped on stage <laughs> pretend to be a woman because it's funny and i'm like what well, doesn't always work out like that no right, for yeah sure, well for so sure. like but i'm wondering though like was it was it one of those things where it's just like because cross-dressing was just like way more accepted or was it the fact that like they found cross-dressing to be so absurd at the time that they were like, well, this is just comedy? He basically said, I have a quote here. He said, um, he did not find it odd to play a woman, nor was he embarrassed. He later recalled how he was able to shed his own naturally shy persona when he stepped onto the stage. He said, for there, I am not myself. I am not that fellow Jim Cagney at all. I certainly lost all consciousness of him when I put on skirts, wig, paint, powder, feathers, and spangles. So in his mind, when he would put on drag, it was like, well, there's no pressure here. Like, cool. I'm not James okay. Cagney. So it's you just know, like, this is acting. Susan. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah. It was cellar door total, Cassie. Yeah. I'm <laughs> old, old Cellar Door Susie. Yeah, and, uh, I'm sure that's what J. Edgar Hoover would say, too, when he would put on his dress. <laughs> Cellar door Eddie. Walk around his mom's heels. <laughs> Cellar Look, door man, Hoover. No judgment. Dress how you right. want to dress. Damn right. And Army Hammer did really good in that movie, and then he ate a bunch of women's toes or whatever. He did. <laughs> Allegedly. 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 <laughs> I'm pretty sure he had that woman's this, toes in his pocket when he did that. This episode interview. is brought to you by Traeger Grills. <laughs> Girlfriend's toes. Perfectly cooked every time. So, uh, James Cagney said it was a waste of time to audition for this because apparently he only knew one dance move, and it was the Peabody. That was the one he knew by heart. He could watch people do stuff on stage, and he could replicate it, you know, fairly easily. But going up on to an audition cold, basically he's got one move that he knows how to break out, and that's the Peabody. But the Peabody was a very complicated dance. And actually, you guys can see me. I'm doing it right now, right? Uh, I guess so. Do yeah, you, you want to? Should I pull up a clip of a Peabody? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Pull up the Peabody. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll, watch, I'll look this up. So for all I, the audience listening right now, though, I'm doing a perfect one. I'll describe it as I as I see it as yeah, I see it with my eyes. Yeah, that's a good idea. Okay, so this is the Peabody. Yeah. It pulls a bunch of stuff from that animated movie, Mr. Peabody and Sherman. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> The Peabody dance. Wrong Peabody. Yeah. Okay. Peabody dance. All right. I f- this looks old timey enough. That's probably it. That's probably it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. He's in one of those one of those vaudeville hats and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Okay. He's doing a little doing a little swagger walk with uh, his hand on his hat. Okay. He's uh he's going he's doing some he's like walking with purpose and then kicking at the end of it. Now he's kind of like snapping along with him walking back and forth. Honestly, it kind of looks like the way your grandpa dances at every wedding he's ever been to. There you go. That's why. Um, this does not look complicated whatsoever. <laughs> what are you talking about? Oh, it was a very complicated move. Okay, so wait, that chick came and she's like, uh, or, or a woman came and she's like uh, around his arm now. Is mm-hmm. this part of it? Is this sure? Now they're kind of like waltzing. Is this still? That's the Peabody man. This okay. This 
Why is this a complicated dance? It was complicated. You know, you do the Peabody. I, I mean, I, I, I could. There doesn't seem to be any like specific <laughs> choreography here. It's kind of just like I like to see the. I'd like to see those kids, old Drake, do the Peabody, <laughs> old Migos. It's like it, it seems. It seems like a pretty standard waltz. Um, oh, like was, a jazzy waltz. It's well, like it's like a waltz of attitude. Well, he did the Peabody in the audition so perfectly that he landed a spot on every sailor on Broadway. Oh, Dev started. Dev's going to show oh, us the Peabody. Jesus, Dev, I've already seen it. I've seen too much. <laughs> this is the same video I was just watching. Oh, Y'all pick the well, same one? Yeah. I'll be quick next time. Now i got this set up. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is great visual material great audio. For, the, for the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so he went to this audition, does his Peabody perfectly, lands a spot on every sailor. Uh, it was his first Broadway spot. You know, he... he proudly dressed as a woman he loved doing it and uh, this was like his his breaking into showbiz basically uh besides just sneaking onto that lot of uh vitagraph back there now he's on stage he's doing his thing he gets paid 35 dollars a week to do every sailor and at the time he said to him it was like a mountain of money he was sending 15 dollars of that uh back home to his mom every week and she appreciated it, but also she was still like, get a real job, you know, uh, like like moms do. <laughs> you remember when you had three real jobs at one time? Yeah. Now you're just <laughs> dancing. And he's still working these jobs, by the way. Oh, he's what? He's still working these jobs while he's got a Broadway show going. And his mom's like, get another yeah, job? Yeah, get another job. Get a real job. You need six <laughs> jobs. And his father's just like rising up from the grave to punch him in the face one last time, you know. Throwing beer bottles from the grave. <laughs> so his, like his his father's urn is on the mantle and just falls and knocks. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. I got you. I got you one more time there, you little laddie. You little piece of shit. <laughs> you thought you were getting their confidence there, eh? Hey, that thought you were a little little wee laddie. You got to stay humble there, my friend. Humble. I'm got pre- to say, I'm sure half the time we're just speaking Scottish. <laughs> speaking Scottish. So mom says, go get a real job. Uh, so he gets a job as a runner for a brokerage house and looked around for more stage work after every sailor was done. So after every sailor, he kind of, he got the bug, you know. Mm-hmm. In 1920, he successfully auditioned for the William B. Friedlander, who, Dev, we've talked about, Broadway musical called Pitter Patter. Where he'd make a whopping fifty-five dollars a week. Well, uh, do you know how much that is in today's money? Let me here. I'll do the actually. I think I did it already. Let me inflation. So he's making seven hundred dollars a week. Yeah. Okay. That's you know you that's know. about like what you need to like bare bare minimum in L.A. Hey, a lot you, more than he made on those cellar yeah. doors. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so yeah, I mean that's like that's bare minimum to survive if you live in a studio and like yeah. have no expenses. So yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> when you oh, can afford to eat only three times a week he was sending 40 of those dollars back to his mom oh wow okay so he was literally so, he was working for you know to yeah. take care of his mom at right this point. for sure okay and, and uh, so at this point like are all the children like a, of working age or are they still just like kids yeah well i mean no i guess he and his brother were the oldest so at this time he was 19 ish 20 ish so I'm, I'm his siblings were probably not very they were probably teenagers oh, okay probably well I, that's working age back then 
Yeah, that's true. Dude, so his mom's a stacking, dude. She's yeah, got man. like, she's got what you said, seven kids, two died, right? Right. So it's just five kids, just all sending back money, dude. She's a stacking, bro. She's stacking it up. She's like, don't don't make me wake up your father's corpse. Yeah, and you're out there <laughs> tap dancing while your little brother is breaking rocks in a mine all day, you know, for two pennies a week. <laughs> for two pennies a week. <laughs> but it's an honest two pennies. It's an honest two pennies. Don't ever say your brother didn't work hard. <laughs> so while he's on pitter patter, he danced in the chorus, acted. And being old James Cagney, being the multi-job type of dude he was, he also took roles, uh, jobs backstage. He would uh, porter the cast luggage, and he understudied for the lead while also dressing him, being his wardrobe guy. Whoa. And Dev, maybe you know a lot about theater and stuff. I mean, that might be pretty prevalent anyway. Like, if you're doing a role in in a play, maybe you take a lot of jobs backstage as well. Yeah, it's especially in community theater or, you know, a lot of people wear multiple hats about, like, get off stage, do this, do that, just because they don't have the staff or they can't afford to pay somebody or, you right. know, the same person who's doing seamstress work is also an extra in the background. Right. And, you know, your stage manager, I, I stage managed and did tech for shows that... I would jump on stage and be in the background just to be a body to fill out a group scene, you know? Yeah, and I guess it works with film that way, too, especially, like you said, like, with independent film. Yeah, I mean, even if you're an actor, sometimes you find yourself wrapping up your acting work and going and helping move furniture or whatever. Sure. Or you could just be, you know, Quentin and just put yourself in everything. Yeah, yeah, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to do. So, (laughs) speaking of uh, the great musician drake that uh has come up throughout this episode a bunch uh among the chorus line six, performers six, six, six. <laughs> <laughs> among the chorus line performers of uh this this william b friedlander pitter patter among the chorus line performers was 16 year old francis willard billy quote-unquote vernon and uh they married he got married to her in 1922 he met her on stage she mm-hmm. was 16 you know, he was around 20, so back in the 1900s, that meant time to get married. Interesting. <laughs> I mean, obviously, that's not great, but I, I do wonder if, like, um, you know, I mean, she's a child. That's abuse. But yeah. um, I, I do wonder, like, at the time, though, was that just oh yeah the, the society and, like, parents and being, like, you have to be married before you're, like, not a teenager anymore or else well, you're just, like, an undesirable? Like, is most, that... most of the people we'll do film history episodes on uh, married teenagers. Okay. <laughs> like, right, yeah. So, all... but, I mean, like, is that is that coming from, like, the parents, like, in society yeah. pushing them that young? Or do you think that's um, psychological abuse from, the, from their would-be husbands? I'm not sure. I mean, I don't know. She's a 16-year-old dancer. You know, she's mm-hmm. a chorus line performer on Broadway. Mm-hmm. She also got pitter-patter successfully mm-hmm. through auditioning. She's also... I, mm-hmm. God knows what she's making. She's probably not making as much as the men are making mm-hmm. on the show. She's mm-hmm. probably making, like, you know, $40, $30 a week. But I don't know how much her parents were involved in this, to be honest. I just know... Okay. I don't know. I mean... Uh, Interesting. Yeah, but... Yeah. So, oh, did, uh, did they ever divorce or anything? Or they no, were, they, go, they, were, they were together. Forever? They were married for sixty-four years. Oh wow! Until he died. Oh wow. Um, okay. Well, you know. Yeah, he was twenty-one. She was sixteen. Interesting. And in nineteen twenty. Yeah. And uh, yeah, nineteen twenty. Interesting. Cocaine and wildness. You know, they were they were this they were this power couple back in the day. Really, uh, they were both these performing Broadway. 
performers. A real, uh, <laughs> a real uh, Jay Z and Beyonce situation a real there. Real Jay Z and Beyonce, except for it's more like Drake and Millie Bobby Brown. <laughs> so Cagney and his uh, socially acceptable for the time child bride moved to <laughs> Free Acres. So if you guys, I have I have two versions of what Free Acres is. There is one short version, and there's one slightly longer. It's just like two two paragraphs. Um, which which would you guys rather hear? You want I want to hear the long version. The long version mm-hmm. of what Free Acres is. Yeah, Free Acres is an unincorporated community in New Jersey along the uh, border of Berkeley Heights and Union County and Wachung in Somerset County. It was created in 1910 as a social experiment by Bolton Hall, an Irish-born New York entrepreneur, reformer, and fa- follower of Leo Tolstoy. What's a Leo Tolstoy? He, he's... Let me find out exactly what he is. Tolstoy. <laughs> he was a Russian writer, though. Okay. He was... He was so if, is this like a cult? It is like... It is a commune. Okay. Basically, they moved to this commune. It's okay. It's a 75-acre wooded community, 85 households. It's located about 35 miles uh, west of New York City. Residents own their houses, but pay a lease for their land which is owned collectively by the community. So it's like a homeowner's association fee. Yeah, basically. Yeah, you, okay. pay, your, you pay your homeowner's fees mm-hmm. to free acres. Okay. And you own your house, but all your neighbors and you own the land. I see. Yeah, yeah. okay, cool. So you can build a it's, – it's a public land that cool. you can build your private house on is cool. basically what it is. And you pay to the free acres. They still do this to this day. It still exists. Free acres specifically still exists? Yeah, free acres. Okay. Free acres is still out there doing their thing. The association, the association maintains the community streets and swimming pool, approves architectural changes to homes, and pays a lump sum in taxes to the two municipalities. And uh, let's move to Free Acres. <laughs> Deb, what do you think? I mean, I think it sounds like a cult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this, this is, is a the... fancy business-minded cult. <laughs> this is this is again like I'm going back to James Cagney in history. Everybody saw is just like this real tough guy uh, who played mobsters and stuff throughout his whole career. But this is a like uh, tap dancing man who lived on a commune. You know, like this is <laughs> wait wait. Did he continue to live there even after he got big? Uh, no, no, he would move on later on. But as okay. newlyweds, when okay. they were newlyweds, Broadway performers, they were Free Acres. It, listen, guys, it was the twenties. They were doing cocaine. Yep. They were living with a bunch of other swingers. Things got freaky. You know, things got freaky, like, baby. We owned all the land. We owned each other's wives. You know, we owned everything. Let's, Jesus, let's share, guys. This is a new New Jersey way to go. Uh, the new New, new Jersey. New Jersey. Wait, so like, was Coke just invented around this time? Or no, was... but cocaine. No. Uh, cocaine was very recently in the 1920s. It was in Coca-Cola, right? And it was. Uh, no, I mean... it was prescribed. So a lot of doctors would prescribe okay. it as an anesthetic yeah. and also a solution for migraines and believe it or not they would also prescribe it for babies teething yes so they would oh, oh, give yeah, cocaine yeah. to babies for teething and if that's i'm not uh, mistaken yeah. this is the so time wild. where heroin was like a painkiller okay. i mean heroin you could go to they, like they the cds so wild heroin. so yeah, wild dude they were <laughs> sold in bottles like glass bottles at the liquor store kind of thing yeah yeah wow yeah you could go to so the you could go wow. to CVS and get a Hunter S. Thompson type of night. Wait, you so know, you was, so you need a prescription or anything? No. Just, uh, just over the counter? <laughs> prescription. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> I'll have some over the counter heroin, please. Yeah. Off brand. 
my 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 five year old's having a lot of pain in his gums. Can you give me a uh, black tar heroin? I deal in cocaine and cocaine accessories. Cocaine accessories. <laughs> <laughs> oh man film history (laughs) pitter patter wasn't a huge success but it did well enough to run for 32 weeks and it started cagney off on a 10-year run with the vaudeville circuit oh wow yeah so he he didn't start acting until he's like in his 30s no 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 he's very young at this point he was 21 right yeah but you you say ran for 10 years i assume like once he got into like film acting he stopped doing no you're right about that yeah he did vaudeville for 10 years before he ever did wow so like oh wow so that's uh that's crazy so he was like 30 something before he started film acting right was that common at the time that was very common a lot of people had a huge vaudeville career it, it does happen these days, but not as much as it used to, where they'll pull people off Broadway and make them movie stars. Sure. You know, but mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so Pitter Patter wasn't a big success, but it did run for 32 weeks and started Cagney off of his 10 year run with Vaudeville. One of the troops Cagney joined was Parker, Rand, and Leach taking over the spot vacated when Archie Leach left. And Archie Leach left his troop. And he changed his name to Cary Grant. <laughs> okay. He, he went on to do a few films here and there. Uh, old, old small-time Cary Grant. You know about Cary Grant, right? No, I have no idea. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cary Grant was one of the biggest movie stars. <laughs> oh, okay. Time. I thought you were being earnest. I thought I was like, he, did, he went on, he did a couple things. Because you know, really I was waiting I was waiting to say oh. that line and be like, change his name to Cary Grant, and everybody would be like, oh, and that didn't happen. I was, like, I was impressed. I didn't realize... Well, so Dev, I need, you on, I need you on the O's. This just goes right well, over my head. I was very entertained because I thought you knew and just didn't react. And then <laughs> to realize it just went completely <laughs> over your head. I was like, oh, unim- shit. Just unimpressed. This is why, this is the new film history. I yeah. like this. This is like, I, you know, Drake will have certain things where there's gaps, and that's cool. Different, that's different where we're, That's what we'll fill in. Um, Cary uh, Grant. Also, a bit of a learning curve about this podcast for me is going to be like because i've done podcasts and stuff before um but uh this is the first one where there's being a story being told to me and yeah. like sometimes i forget that this is a podcast and i'm just like listening to you like tell me interesting facts and i'm yeah. just like crazy and i'm like oh fuck i need to like interject so there's a conversation here. <laughs> no that's okay <laughs> this is going pretty naturally right cool. now this cool, is cool. good um yeah so so yeah he takes over for carrie grant and carrie grant's vaudeville troop and he travels around with them and i mean I, you know you got to kind of imagine if you're filling in the space for Cary Grant after he leaves, for one, big shoes to fill. But number two, you have landed with the right people, you know, in my opinion. I mean, if, if one of them became Cary Grant, you probably got good chances that you also are going to come out of this pretty good. Sure, yeah, almost like a like SNL. It's like yeah. if you go to SNL, you're probably going to you you're got probably gonna do for life. Yeah. Exactly. You're going to make some money. Not right now, but you're going to. Vaudeville was SNL. Uh, Vaudeville was SNL. That is a perfect way of putting it. Cool. Uh, But with, you know, more heroin. Well, I don't know. (laughs) Well, I don't know, but I have have no idea. (laughs) Cary Grant is, I I put him like where probably like George Clooney will land in history. Okay. I think he was George Clooney of his time, but probably honestly bigger. I don't know. I mean, George Clooney's huge, but Cary Grant was gigantic yeah. you know yeah, yeah, yeah. we'll do a whole episode okay on that, no cool. doubt about it so james and his wife francis like i said earlier they toured separately on vaudeville but sometimes when they would be in the same town they would reunite for a show and they called it vernon and nye 
And Nye was kind of like a rearrangement of the last letter, three three letters of Cagney. Uh, okay. Yeah, James Cagney had like a, you know, he was Mr. Artsy-Fartsy type of guy Weird. usually. Okay. And, uh, yeah, so when they would come back together, they would do a show together, which I cool. imagine was a lot of fun to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Actually, let's put a cap on that. That is the first episode for James Cagney. Okay. I think so I got you guys. This is everything leading up to his film career. This is everything leading up to his film career. Yeah. He's now, like, very successful, doing vaudeville, 10-year circuit. Uh, he starts out on Broadway. He meets his wife. And How much do you think he gets paid, like, a week? At this point, at this point, he was making fifty-five dollars a week for that Broadway Broadway show. I don't know if vaudeville paid as much, to be honest. But also, you're touring, okay? So I do imagine so there's bills and stuff. Yeah, it's not like you have like an apartment, probably like per probably, diem. Yeah. I imagine you get like a yeah, per diem. Sure. Dev knows more about like a touring theater show than I do. I'm not quite sure. Well, yeah, I, well, I mean, room and board is. I mean, now room and board, it's all taken care of and everything. But back right, then, right. even it's room and board covered. And depending on the outfit, like the production company, it would have per diem or not. Most, not really, unless they were like super popular and famous. Right, right. So uh, at this point, do you think his mom still thinks he's a failure? Probably. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was 1920 and you're an actor. Like, what the hell are you doing? You know, okay. you're, you're supposed to be out there on Wall Street or some shit. And, sure. uh, I, you know, I mean, this is it, that's even today, you know, becoming an actor mm-hmm. is so. Yeah. W- were there any were there any rich vaudeville stars? Was there ever a, a vaudeville troupe that was like this guy is banking like we think of actors banking now? I'm sure. I am absolutely sure. Yes. Oh yeah, people were absolutely there... making buku bucks okay. on vaudeville. Okay. Yeah. Let me see. <laughs> Dev's googling it too. And uh, while well, you guys Google that, maybe this is, I don't know if you know this off top, about how much were tickets to a vaudeville show? I mean, <clears throat> so I, it, comparatively, t- tickets are probably cheap, yeah. uh, it, like as far as prices, because you're not going to a theater that's very fancy and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like a pop-up show kind of setting or a, a something. A lot of times they happen in bars with stages. Okay. Um, but as you can see, you know, like some of them, Buster Keaton, Gracie Allen, Judy Garland, Bob Hope. Oh wow! I mean, vaudeville has been a staple point of like American culture, and it was, it's a uniquely American style yeah. of performing, invented and only really performed here right. until okay. like you know much later. I mean, here we go: Mickey Rooney, right? Walter Brennan, James Dunn. This is done. Yeah, they were absolutely. I, I would say, but I mean, were they were they rich like a, when they were vaudeville performers? You know, what I mean, because like. James Cagney was, was you know, no, something for... I, I, vaudeville was more of, like, a stepping stone. Like, okay, imagine right. it's like... Right, yeah, that's what I'm acting like. So no who, one's rich while they're doing vaudeville. Not no I one, mean, but very, li- could, very okay. few people. You gotta define rich, because, like, you mean rich by, like, New York City at the time standards? Yes. Probably not. But okay. rich... Rich by like somebody in the Midwest who right. came from a nothing town. Okay. They're probably making great money. You know, okay, like that's the incentive. That. So, like, they use vaudeville as a, a vehicle to get out of the small Midwest town to be a, a foot in the door in the industry, go to Chicago, go to San Francisco, go to New York, become an actual performer, or even Los Angeles with film then. But th- that was the f- template for, like, the late 1800s. Right. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, Into cool. the 1900s. Yeah, and so, like, I imagine since James Cagney was making $55 a week on Broadway, I, maybe he wasn't making that much, but he's probably making okay money, you know, out there touring okay. and stuff. And some people, yeah, absolutely. There were some people who would get rich off of this, you know, but 
it was probably that thing where it was like a one percent you okay. know where but, it's uh, whoever's producing the show so a lot of the time it's the the like the show manager or which would be like the band manager okay so they would be in charge of booking and going where they're gonna go and and how yeah. much they're gonna charge and then how much they're gonna pay the talent how much they pay for the room and boards they manage the book so they're gonna make all mo- the majority of the money off the top right and yeah like we were talking about with will rogers his vaudeville salary was pretty good he was doing like rope tricks on stage he was famous in wrote rich as fuck what explain what a rope trick is he would literally would go up on stage and he had a rope and like lasso yeah he would lasso and he would jump through it and he would lasso a a cow and he would he was was doing rope stuff he was a cowboy (laughs) you know yeah and he would like sit in his living room up in the santa monica mountains in his house and rope shit (laughs) he would like (laughs) practice his rope tricks that's go back and listen to the will rogers episode of film history (laughs) when when it's available later yeah (laughs) when it's available later <laughs> but yes, you know, in seven months <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but yeah, that, I I I really wanted to do James Cagney first, and I'm glad I did. And it's very interesting to me because, like I said, like you know, when I started the research on James Cagney, I wasn't quite sure what I'd find, but I was very sure it was going to be uh, a very tough New York guy who played a bunch of gangsters like Al Pacino or something. But much like Al Pacino as well. I found a lot of unexpected things about James Cagney. He was he was many more layers than I thought he would be. Yeah, you know? this is fascinating. I mean, he's, this man had it's, it's like he did he did everything. Once. He did everything. Remember? Did everything. Remember? Do you guys remember that show um, from maybe the mid the mid aughts or early aughts or something, or maybe it was like nineties when uh, called the the Pretender. Oh yeah. Well, this, yeah. the guy's whole thing was he could do every job, and yeah. so he investigated crimes or some shit by like doing every job. Yeah. It's like James Cagney. That's he's just exactly, like he just does it. every job. <laughs> and you will see that is a recurring theme throughout all these people we're going to cover in film history. Is basically the the moral of the story is that people used to do a lot more shit than we do now. <laughs> Interesting, fascinating. Um, well, I mean, yeah, I guess just at the time it, there wasn't as defined of a path to become an actor, so people just kind of stumbled into it later in life instead yeah. of like trying from the jump to like be an actor right. unless you're like really really passionate about the theater because like acting back then was considered like meh okay and then I guess I'll do that yeah. but like it wasn't mm-hmm. like held to the esteem as it is in modern pop culture right I'm gonna be an actor <clears throat> right right like yeah. this was before the golden age of Hollywood Right. right. And the golden age was the golden age because that's when it became, you know. I mean, I, in silent films, you had the Gilded Age, I guess. Is that yeah. what it's called? Yeah, those right. guys who were making $20,000 a week in 1920. Yeah. Doing what? Right. Silent films. Charlie oh, Chaplin. Shit. Buster Keaton. Buster Keaton. Charlie oh, that's Chaplin. Right. Yeah. And they also started and owned and operated their own studios. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, that's. uh. That's James Cagney, y'all, and that's Film History, Episode 1. Nice. Um, and there, I mean, we have a, uh, we, we started coming up with ideas for what to do next for the next, you know, we have 100 episodes slated. I mean, this yeah. show could never end. Like, yeah. there is so. It never does. It, yeah, <laughs> it, it, it never will. It never will. So I hope you guys are ready for the long haul, because uh, you're going to be stuck with us for. Yeah. 150 years of this yeah. podcast. And this, this will get better. This will get better, too. <laughs> <laughs> this, will get better, this will get better, he says. I feel great about this. Me, too, man. This was awesome. This was fun. 
Yeah, I had a great time. No, this was this was this is good. Like I said, sometimes I just like I forget that we're recording and I'm just listening to the story and I'm like, go on and I'm like, oh no, go that was that's <laughs> nah, all good, man. All good. Well, I'll tell you what, when I uh I plan to come uh in studio in like a week or something. Yeah. yeah. And then maybe we'll be a little bit more seamless. Perfect. Nice. Well, so I'm shaking the rough stuff. I haven't sh- done a podcast in like a fucking year and a half or something. Like basically yeah. since COVID started, I'd stop, you know, podcasting all audio medium. I easily could have like done it remotely. I just didn't do it. So like, I'm, you know, I'm shaking the rust off too. So. Yeah. Yeah. You guys are great though. You guys do. Shaking guys the rust off, baby. Well, all right, y'all. That is film history. S- wait, should we, should we plug our socials and stuff? Sure. Okay, cool. So you can find me on Instagram at Drake Cummings on Twitter at Drake underscore Cummings. <laughs> Go ahead, Deb. <laughs> I just love how right in the middle of the sign-off, we're like, yo, we got to go plug our socials. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, it, was, it was the timing of it that was funny because you were just like, film history. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Hold the phone. Fo- <laughs> stop the fucking presses. after the sign-off, so... <laughs> No, it was humorous to me. Uh, <laughs> Sailor, uh, my, my name's Devin Mueller. Uh, Sailor underscore Dev, uh, abracadabrafilms.com, or uh, MyFish. Check out a fishing app where you get rewarded for fishing. Boom. And you can find me in a back alleyway with a bottle of whiskey and a needle of heroin. That is Film History, <laughs> the history of film. <laughs>